uh, strange days we live in, amen? <laughs> uh, but anyways, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open those to Matthew chapter 5. It's the book of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, as you turn there, before we begin, is that we do live in weird times. It does seem like the apocalypse. Uh, the world is in hysteria, and uh, it hasn't stopped raining for six months. What's going on with that? I do find it really ironic, and perhaps not so much, uh, that we just got done talking about worry, right? Like three weeks ago. Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7. Just let me remind you all. Philippians chapter six says, or chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. If we're worried, just tell Him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, ponder these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As Chris said, God is still in control, Jesus is still on the throne, and he is returning soon. Praise the Lord. Uh, and one last, so my, when my wife, when your wife, has just a marriage tip, when your wife speaks, you listen. And, um, and my wife said to me on Saturday, I'm not the spontaneous type, but when she speaks, you listen. And uh, she said to me, she said, Brian, you just need to remind people of truth. So for the next 20, 30 seconds, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a passion, a passion, passage of Scripture that I would like to remind you of in this time. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, we are... For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, including the coronavirus, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Today we begin a very short series in between the time of the book of Philippians and our time coming up in a few weeks of the Gospel of John. We're doing a mini-series just on the issue of evangelism. And believe it or not, evangelism, sharing our faith, sharing Jesus Christ is what I mean by that term. Sharing our faith has less to do with gimmicks, manipulation, or what works. But evangelism has more to do with our identity. And in Matthew chapter 5, we see that our identity is twofold. 
Today, if you have your Bible, we'll be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Notice that. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. If you've grown up in the church, then I imagine I know the song that is playing in your mind right now. It's a song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? You don't want to hear me sing. Anyways. But this song, if you think about that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This song has a fundamental flaw. Actually, it has two fundamental flaws. Because that song talks about what, but it does not talk about why or how. It talks about what we should do as Christians, that we should let our light shine, that the light that we have inside of us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we should let it shine, but it does not tell us how or why. So today, I hope to answer why we should share our faith, and then next week we'll talk about how we actually do it. Now, some of you are probably wondering why this series, why are we doing a short series on evangelism, on sharing our faith in Jesus Christ? And actually, this idea was not original to me, but it was actually one of y'all's, y'all's, I'm in the South, uh, y'all's thoughts or influences. I shared the story of how this thought of evangelism came along with my wife, and she told me that I had to share it. The genesis of this short series on evangelism happened on a Wednesday night prayer meeting. I was sitting right underneath the balcony right back there, and one of our older and very wise saints pray, was praying for our missionaries here at Calvary Bible Church, which we support many of them. And he prayed something like this. He said, Lord, we can't expect to outsource evangelism to our missionaries. But rather, we ourselves must go into the world to share it with them. That's right. I sat underneath that balcony. This was probably about six or seven weeks ago. And I heard that man's prayer. And I wanted to jump up and down and spray paint my body. Okay, just as a cheerleader for him. Because he was right. His burden was right. His prayer was right. His thoughts were correct that we can't expect to outsource to some missionary or we can't we just expect somebody else to share the gospel. But really, it's not somebody else's responsibility, but it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are commanded to go. How else can the world know? How else can your neighbors know? How else can your family know? How else can your children know? How else can people in the world know if we do not have the bravery to go and to share the gospel to the ends of the earth? If we cower 
behind our sense of fear and our sense of inadequacy that we don't know enough to share, then how can the world hear the truth and the life-giving message of the gospel? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Our identity in Christ compels our purpose to go. Sharing the gospel is not up to somebody else. It's not up just to the preacher. It's not up to just your neighbor. But it's up to each one of us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, what do I mean by the gospel? That Jesus, the Christ, has come. And that he has died for my sins in my place because I could not do it. And that as a gift of his grace and his mercy, he presents to us the gospel, the good news, that if we believe in him, that we shall be saved. That this idea, that this message should be sent to the ends of the earth. And what we do not realize oftentimes is that what should motivate us to go to the ends of the earth is not some guilt trip, is not fear of condemnation, but our motivation to go is a sense of our identity. It is really in what Jesus Christ has declared us to be. And today in Matthew chapter 5, we see our new identity in Him. And this new identity is twofold and is the reason why we should share the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open them again to Matthew chapter 5. Forgive me, my voice is a little bit worn out today. If you are new to Christianity, then Matthew chapter 5 comes in the middle of Jesus' first sermon. His first sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount, which goes from Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And really what I think Jesus is talking about in this particular message is Jesus is really talking about the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. In my opinion, some people think that Jesus is talking to the crowds, but I would kind of take it a little bit differently. I believe Jesus is talking to a specific segment of the crowds themselves. If you have your Bible, notice their identity. Verse 13. You. Why, O you? You are what? The salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, before we unpack this image or this Identity. I want you to notice a very important word. It's the very first word in verse 13. It is the word Y-O-U. You are. Now the question is, is who is the you? Who is Jesus talking to? In the original language, this word you is very emphatic. It, literally what Jesus says is this. He goes, he says, you, you are the salt of the earth. It's very emphatic. But the question is, who is the you? Who is he talking to? I believe the you here is not just all of the people, but it is 12 people. If you notice Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, on the page previous, Jesus or says this. He says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and Jesus opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, who is the you? 
A lot of people would say that it's the crowds, but based on the context of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe that Jesus is talking to his disciples, those people that have believed and have followed him with their lives. The you are are his disciples. I mean, how could Jesus claim, just, let's just say you think it's the crowds, how could Jesus claim that the unbelieving crowds are the salt and the light of the world? It makes no sense. So I think that you here in verse 13 and 14, that Jesus, out of all of these hundreds and thousands of people, Jesus takes a moment and he looks specifically at his disciples and he says that you are the salt of the earth. But catch the implication, I believe it's still applicable today. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple, if you have believed in Him and surrendered your life to Him, then what? That we as Christians, we have a unique purpose. That we are called to be different. That we have a unique purpose because of our identity as salt. Notice our identity. You, disciples or followers of Christ Jesus, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Why should we share our faith? It's because we are the salt of the earth. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower, if you're a disciple, if you're likely here today, right? You are the salt of the earth. But I know a question you're asking there. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're the salt of the earth? And I cannot tell you how many pages in libraries of seminaries around the world have been dedicated to this one phrase. That you are the salt of the earth. Because people really don't, they struggle to understand what this means. You know, we have a misunderstanding in our day that oftentimes one of the greatest difficulties when we interpret the Bible is to interpret and to understand it as they would understand it then, not as we understand it now. Let me give you an example. Today, in our culture, we think salt only has one use, right? To make my french fries taste better, okay? That is what we think in our mind, and I'm a self-professed saltaholic, okay, saltaholic. I put salt on everything besides ice cream, okay? But when Matthew chapter 5 was written, salt had much more purposes than just to make their food taste better. Salt did season their food, but salt was also added to sacrifices. It was connected in that culture with purity it was a sign of loyalty, it was used as fertilizer, and it was used for cleaning newborn babes. Some commentators take these uses and then say that Jesus meant this particular idea. Some commentators interpret this phrase, you are the salt of the earth, to, to mean that we are to remain pure. Some think it means to divinely flavor the world. Some scholars say that Christians are to create sting, right? As salt creates sting in a wound, therefore we're meant to create a sting convicting the world of their sin. And some scholars would think that we are to preserve the world. I hope not. All of these, if I'm, all of these have some validity, but when I see 
this phrase that you are the salt of the earth, what does it reveal about our purpose? What's another use for salt that I did not mention? Salt creates thirst. That salt creates thirst, that we are the salt of the world, that earth, that we are meant to create a thirst for the things of God. We should create thirst with our love, with our deeds. We should create thirst in the darkness and the hopelessness of the world through our words, through our passion, with our example, with our devotion, with our commitment, with our uncompromising stance, with our perseverance, with our integrity, that we should create thirst for God in our neighborhoods, in our families, with our friends, and with our fellow church members. People that you encounter in the world should say, I don't know what that person has, but I want it. We are meant to create a thirst for the things of God in this world. We should sprinkle our passion to all without prejudice or fear, without hindrance or obstacle. But I must warn you that sometimes we in conservative churches, we think that the best approach to sharing Jesus, to converting people, is by brute force with a Jesus club. Okay, But I am convinced of this, that the best way to really salt, really create a thirst for the things of God, is not through brute force, but with a gentle sprinkle, with a patient push. We influence our children to turn to God, not with guilt trips and with a Jesus club, but by seasoning their lives with the gospel. By seasoning our conversation with truth, by praying with them. By exampling to them passion and devotion to Jesus Christ. One cannot preach on evangelism without having some semblance of personal conviction. I'll say it that way. (laughs) I heard a couple of amens. Um, Personally speaking, looking back on my life, the times that I had the greatest influence to evangelize and to share my faith was not with a Jesus club, but rather with a sprinkle of salt. My life, looking back, my greatest influence was sprinkling the gospel with my life, with my word, and with my deed. To share with you a personal story as I talk about this time period of my life frequently, and some of you may roll your eyes because I talk about it all the time, But in my early 20s, I really wanted to be different. I really wanted to create a thirst for the things of God. So the Lord happened to throw me into the darkness of the world of rental cars, okay? And (laughs) don't rent cars for a living. Okay, it's a great evangelism opportunity. But I'm sitting there as a 22, 23, 24-year-old guy, and I wanted sincerely to create a thirst for the things of God amongst my coworkers. I wanted to be different. I wanted to look different, to speak different, to sprinkle the gospel with my life and word and deed. And I found myself in the middle of a world of darkness. Maybe you experienced this. And you feel like the oddball out. 
But what's amazing over time, if you're patient, if you're consistently sprinkling the gospel through your life, through your word, through your deed, if you're constantly doing that, you'll begin to notice the influence that you have over time. Over time, looking back through the sprinkling that I had of the gospel, just trying to live like Christ, I began to see people in my branch turn to Jesus slowly. I remember I led somebody to the Lord. His name was Rob. Led somebody to the Lord on a business trip in a hotel room. And I remember my boss at the time could not have been further from the Lord. Could not, I, mean, I mean, he could not have been further. He was a nominal Christian at best. But then I remember just slowly sprinkling the salt of the gospel in his life, creating thirst, what I hoped would be true. And then suddenly this man, this young man at the time, began to come actually to Calvary Bible Church. Slowly over time, he began to change his life. Our identity compels us. Our identity as salt compels us for our purpose to create thirst. But then notice the second half of verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. That is your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. One of many things. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What is Jesus really saying here? He says in the first phrase that you are the salt of the earth, but what is Jesus saying with the back half? That if salt loses its taste, what? It loses its purpose. So what is it? It's to be thrown out. If salt loses its taste, it loses its pur- purpose. Catch the implication. If we lose our saltiness, we lose our purpose. If we lose our passion to share the gospel, if we lose our desire to create thirst, then we forsake our purpose. If we lose our desire to create thirst, then we lose our purpose and salt without purpose, as Jesus says, is thrown out. Now, we can talk about the theological implications of that afterwards. Okay. I believe in once saved, always saved. Moving on. Okay. But then notice the second identity. Verse 14. You are the salt of the earth. In verse 13, you are what? The, I'm going to ask, we are the light of the world. You are the, a weak man. You are the, thank you, of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Wait, what a sec. What do you say? What? Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Why should we share Jesus Christ? It's because we are the light of the world. That's what he says. Our identity through the cross is now in children of God, but we are salt and we are light. My second point is our identity compels us to create thirst and to reveal truth. Now, in staff meeting this week, I always present the scripture to them, and I just kind of ask them, what do you guys see? And they had some fantastic observations about this phrase, that you are the light of the world. Observation number one, 
is this. If we are the light of the world, then what is the world? Yeah, very good. The world is darkness. The world is and is living in darkness. What darkness? The darkness of sin. The world is stumbling around looking for hope, looking for truth, looking for peace, looking for answers to life. The world is starving for answers. The world is starving for people that say they have light. We are confused when we see cult leaders and why people follow them. And I am more and more convinced the older and older and older I get that the world is full of darkness and they are starving for truth. They're starving for the light. The world will flock to whatever leader, whatever guru, whatever product, whatever idea promises them truth and light. They flock to people like Jim Jones and Tony Robbins. And they flock to products like Rogaine and to Colts. But friends... The world should not look to them for light. They should look to us for light. Right? The world is starving for truth. They're starving for hope. They're starving for answers. They should not look to the gurus of the world. They should look to Christians and to the truth of the gospel that is revealed in the Bible. We are the light of the world. They are looking to somebody for hope, and we are not them. We have hope. We have truth. We have light. And the world is darkness, and they're stumbling around hoping to find it. And if we don't share, then how will they find it? Observation number two, if we are the light of the world, then we aren't of the world. If the world is darkness and we are light, then that means that we are different, that we are separated from the world. Jesus reinforces this in John 15, 19. He says this, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Observation number three. If we are the light of the world, then they are looking to us for answers. If we are the light of the world, then they are looking to us for answers. Let me give you an illustration for this idea. If I took this sanctuary and I made it completely pitch black, where you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face, and then I turn on a flashlight, where would your eyes instantaneously go? The world, if we are the light and they are in darkness, then they are looking to us for direction, and the direction that we have points to Jesus Christ, who is the only source of life in the world. Observation number four is that we, if we are light and they are darkness, then what does that tell you? If we are light and they are darkness, what does that tell you? That we can't hide. That's the whole metaphor in the second part of verse 14. Notice it. This is what, exactly what Jesus said. As Christians, we can't hide. You are the light of the world. 
a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus is basically saying that you are the light of the world. And oh, by the way, you are just like that city that is up on a mountain. That city cannot hide. Therefore, we as Christians are the same. That we are so different that we can't, we can't hide. Let me... If you are hiding... <laughs> Uh, I would imagine some of you would disagree with that statement that you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I imagine some of you would disagree that we can hide, but clearly Jesus says that we are that, that we cannot hide. If you hide, if you are hiding your faith out of fear or out of peer pressure or out of trying to fit in, then maybe you don't have the lights. Why? Because we can't hide. We are a city set on a hill. A Christian who desires to hide and not to shine may not be a Christian. Because we cannot hide. So why are we to share our faith? Our identity compels us. It compels our purpose to create thirst and to reveal truth. But what is the best way to reveal truth? What is the best way to create thirst? What is the best way to shine? Verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they, the world, the darkness, that they may see your good works and that they, the world, will glorify your Father who is in heaven how do we shine our light? How do we create thirst in the darkness of this world? It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. The best way we share the gospel is with our deeds. Oftentimes, we as Christians think the best way to share the gospel is with our words. And that is important. Do not get me wrong. We need to actually share the gospel, right? We need to actually communicate that. But our actions are, if not, more important. And you ask me why. Why is it important that our actions share the gospel? Let me give you an illustration. Let's just say that you are a non-believer. Let's say you do not know Jesus Christ. And then you have this friend who does everything that you do. Okay, they live just like the world. They're, lack of a better term, they're partying and doing whatever the things that the people were. And then that person all of a sudden turns to you as a non-believer and says, "Oh, by the way, do you know Jesus? What, what's going to be your reaction as a non-believer? Um, I'm good. Okay, right? You're no different than me. Our actions speak volumes. Listen to this thought: the quickest way to invalidate our message is our actions." And the best way to validate our message is our actions. The best way to be different, to shine our light, to create thirst is through good works. I'm going to say this phrase a couple of times. Actions provide the opportunity for truth to reach hearts. Let me say that again. Actions provide the opportunity for truth to reach hearts. Next week, I'll talk about really how. How do we share the gospel with our words? And what we will see is we will see the example of Jesus mentioned in the gospel of John. But do not be fooled. 
that actions provide the opportunity for truth to reach hearts. My goal for every time I preach is that we would examine the Scripture, that we would see the Scripture as it is, and that we would allow the Scripture to change our lives. My goal for sermons is to preach the Word and to help us put it into practice. So then the question I have is, what outcome do I want from this passage in Matthew chapter 5 is twofold. That as a Christian... Let us create thirst and let us reveal truth to the world. Let us create thirst for the things of God. What do they have? And let us create, let us shine our light and reveal the truth. So for my application today, I'm going to share just quick, three quick questions with you all. Question number one is quite simple. How can you create more thirst for God? Perhaps a better way to phrase that is who. Who is someone in your life? I want you to think of a face. Who is someone in your life that needs more thirst for the Lord? Who is someone that keeps you up late at night for their lack of belief? If you are the salt of the earth, then ask yourself the question, How can you sprinkle truth into their life? How can you create more thirst for God in the gospel and the Bible and Christianity? How can you differentiate your actions and show them love? How can you show your passion to them and conviction to the Lord? How can you salt their lives with truth? Actions provide the opportunity for truth to reach hearts. Question number two is really how can you reveal truth in your actions? But I'm going to kind of take that question and expand it with question number three. Really is this, is what actions should we stop? What is there something in your life that people are looking at at work or at school or at home or online or And they're saying, I don't know if I want what they have. We all are imperfect. Can I get an amen to that one? Please. Let me say that. We're all imperfect. Amen? Amen. Thank you. But we do also need to have some self-awareness. Let us just look at ourselves in the mirror for just a moment. Are there actions in our life that people in the world are discrediting our faith with? It's a very valid question. What questions should we stop? And then the third question is really, what actions should we start what should we do maybe there's somebody in our family that we are just sick and tired of trying to reach them we've given up on them but maybe our effort in pursuing their hearts with the gospel will speak volumes of our love and of the love of jesus to them actions provide the opportunity for truth to reach hearts friends our identity is many things in Christ Jesus, but we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. So then let it compel us to create thirst for the things of God and to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ in the gospel. A Christian who understands their identity, 
who understands that they are salt and light. A Christian who understands their purpose is one that will not waver, one that will not falter as much, is one that will see a gospel opportunity at all times. A Christian who understands their identity as salt and light will not be motivated to share by compulsion or by a preacher's guilt trip. A person who understands their identity will not be compelled to share out of compulsion, will not be motivated by fear or guilt, will not feel condemned for a lack of action, will not feel like a failure when we fall. A Christian who understands their identity as in Christ as salt and light will sprinkle truth and love at all occasions, will create thirst from the thirsty of the world, will reveal truth through love, actions, and words. And I believe this to be true. A Christian who understands that they are the salt and light of the world will one day look down from heaven. Won't that be a wonderful day? Will one day look down from heaven and will see the ripples of lives that the Lord allowed them to influence by their salting and through their actions, through their words, and through their deeds. Friends, we have a purpose. We have a mission. And our identity in Jesus Christ compels us. Let us not hide our faith under a bushel. But let's put it on a lampstand for the world to see. I pray that people in this community would not know that you're a member of Calvary Bible Church. I hope that people in this community would know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And that you would share the gospel with your word, with your life, and with your deeds. If you do not know Jesus Christ, I present this every week, if you do not know him, then Jesus Christ provides you eternal life and earthly blessing, eternal, earthly and eternal life by faith in him. The gospel is this, it's, it's the good news. What is the good news? The bad news is that you and I are sinners, that you and I do wrong, and that we cannot earn our way to heaven into the presence of a perfect God because we are imperfect. But God in his love saw our condition and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins that if we would believe in him that we shall be saved. Never let that get old. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ then believe in him and you will be saved. Bow with me a word of prayer and then we will close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for my friends and family in this room. Uh, Lord, that we would not be uh, compelled to go uh, because of what I say or because of any guilt they feel or I feel goodness um, but Lord that we can be compelled to go because of our purpose because of what you have declared us to be that we are salt and light of the world Lord I pray that we would be brave Lord that we would go into the world with our words and with our deeds and with our love and shine the gospel to all those we encounter Lord, I just pray for encouragement. I thank you for those brave souls that are here today. 
Lord, I just I thank you that even though it's a off Sunday and and some of our friends and family aren't here today, Lord, I just pray. Uh, I just thank you for those that are here. Pray for protection for those that are here. I do pray for our community and that we would glorify and trust you in all things. And Lord, I thank you for today. In Jesus' name, I.